And we start the show with breaking news. Kenneth Dixon will undergo season-ending knee surgery on his torn meniscus. It's a shame. It's a shame. It's a bad day for Kenneth Dixon enthusiasts. I feel sad for them. I really do. <laughs> no, I don't. I can't believe I tried to say that. I am so full of it. This was great news. Because most of us are heavily invested in Danny Woodhead and Terrence West. We've come on this show four consecutive episodes saying the Kenneth Dixon, Terrence West ADPs should be flipped. Terrence West should be drafted before Kenneth Dixon, not vice versa. Why? Because Terrence West and Kenneth Dixon are very similar prospects, both dominant at small schools. Terrence West, a third round pick. Kenneth Dixon, a fourth round pick. Terrence West, bigger, better between the tackles, pounder. Kenneth Dixon, smaller, but a better receiver out of the backfield. So some minor differences in otherwise similar prospects. Yet the biggest difference was being overlooked that Kenneth Dixon was to be suspended this season for at least the first two games. At least, minimum, first two games. That's a major strike against you. There's been work done by numerous analysts on players returning from suspension and disappointing, underperforming their ADPs. So for that reason, we weren't drafting Kenneth Dixon anyway. We were drafting Terrence West rounds later. Thank you. Cha-ching. Who has Danny Woodhead on his Scott Fishbowl roster? This guy. So it's a good day. It's a very good day. I wish we could have seen it play out, though. I believe there was a strong possibility that Terrence West, like a new closer in baseball, starts the season hot, and then because the coach is risk-averse or superstitious or both, decides to roll with the hot hand, quote-unquote, and continue to start Terrence West even after Kenneth Dixon returned from suspension. I believe that was a distinct possibility, which again was why we were drafting the starter, Terrence West, not the suspended guy, Kenneth Dixon, when choosing between two otherwise similar running backs. It's just rational. Fantasy football doesn't need to be hard, and these rational decisions we've been making have been rewarded, as they often are. And now we will see Terrence West's ADP skyrocket. It was rounds too low before the Kenneth Dixon injury, so I'm anxious to see how high it rises after the announcement that Kenneth Dixon has been lost for the season. Woo! Get ready. It's going to be a wild ride up the ADP charts for Terrence West. And we will continue to talk about this Baltimore backfield. On the next show, we'll focus on the Danny Woodhead side of the equation, the satellite back component. But the first player that came to mind upon hearing the Kenneth Dixon news was not Terrence West, and it was not Danny Woodhead. The first neuron that fired in my brain upon seeing this Kenneth Dixon news sparked more consideration for Jaquiz Rogers. The Kenneth Dixon injury news highlights the value of Jaquiz Rogers, the running back who's slated to start the first three games of the season for an ascending offense. Terrence West was slated to start at least the first three games of the season for a high-volume offense. That's the position that Jaquiz Rogers is in. So now watching Terrence West's value 
Rise Like a Helium Balloon reminds us that Jaquiz Rogers also equally undervalued, if not more undervalued, than Terrence West. Because Jaquiz Rogers is a better pass catcher. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a better offense overall, more efficient offense. They'll be scoring more points in Tampa than they will in Baltimore. So Jaquiz Rogers, even more valuable. Just like Terrence West, Jaquiz Rogers could start the season hot and retain the job. I don't know who is out there drafting Doug Martin. I don't know who's out there drafting suspended players in redraft period. Because the first three weeks of the season are crucial. Those three weeks that Terrence West was going to start regardless, crucial. These three weeks that Jaquiz Rogers will be starting to kick off the season, crucial. It's an extreme rationalization to justify drafting Doug Martin. Just like it was an extreme rationalization to justify Kenneth Dixon. Now there is no more rationalization for Kenneth Dixon. Because it was one thing when he was just suspended. Now he's suspended and injured. You need to jettison Kenneth Dixon from your dynasty rosters. Of course, no one's going to own him in redraft, but even in Dynasty, if you're injured and suspended, you have no place on my Dynasty roster. I will take what I can get for Kenneth Dixon. And last year, Doug Martin was injured again. And this year, he's suspended. So if you have Doug Martin on your Dynasty roster, I would see what you can get for him around week three. Hope that Jaquiz Rogers doesn't light up the box score in weeks one and two, and then see what you can get for Doug Martin in week three, when he's projected to return and perhaps take over the starting role from Jaquiz Rogers. That's the time to strike. You need to jettison Doug Martin based on the cautionary tale that is Kenneth Dixon. Of all the running backs that are being overdrafted this year, Doug Martin's ADP is the most perplexing of all. I'm seeing Doug Martin getting drafted now ahead of Carlos Hyde. Why is that? Run the breaking news. Matt Miacho from CSN Bay Area believes that Carlos Hyde will have to compete for a starting job. And then Greg Rosenthal from NFL.com followed that up by saying Carlos Hyde could be a surprising training camp cut. No, 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 no. No, Greg. No. The surprising training camp cut is going to be CJ Anderson, not Carlos Hyde, because CJ Anderson is scheduled to make $3 million and the Denver Broncos can save over a million dollars by cutting CJ Anderson before the season starts. That's the cut candidate you should be focused on, not Carlos Hyde. But Matt Miocho, Miacho, and Greg Rosenthal believe that the 49ers bell cow back who's scheduled to make less than a million dollars this year is a cut candidate. <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same in San Francisco. No franchise has been more poorly managed than the San Francisco 49ers in the National Football League the last five years. They lead the league in incompetence. No franchise has displayed more front office incompetence than the San Francisco 49ers. And you thought by hiring John Lynch that might change, but now we're seeing in July, no, 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 same old 49ers. Just floating these bizarre rumors, demoralizing key members of the offense from Carlos Hyde to Vance McDonald. It's just bizarre because Vance McDonald is guaranteed three and a half million dollars this year. If San Francisco cuts him, they save a little over 600000 this year and then eat yet more dead cap next year. So the idea that Vance McDonald is a cut candidate, it represents the absolute pinnacle of beat report absurdity. Yet here we are. 
And you have to wonder who is leaking these rumors that Vance McDonald and Carlos Hyde are cut candidates to NFL network reporters and local beat reporters following the team. Who do these leaks serve? That's the question you always need to ask when these rumors surface. When the news broke that Kyrie Irving was demanding a trade, the next question should be, where did this report come from? Who initiated the leak? Who does this leak serve? And when you start climbing the logic ladder, where does it lead? It leads to LeBron James. Of course it serves LeBron James. It makes him look good and Kyrie Irving look bad. And perhaps it wasn't even that calculating. Perhaps LeBron James was just lashing out because Kyrie Irving didn't want to play with him anymore. Aww. So when you conduct that thought exercise, it's clear. LeBron James leaked that information. The problem is when you think about these San Francisco cut candidate leaks, the leaks serve no one. No one. It's to no one's advantage to demoralize key players on offense. If the player finds this out, it's embarrassing to the player. They're not going to go to a reporter to tell them this. The coach is not going to tell the reporter this because the coach doesn't want to cut a starting contributor. Coaches are incentivized to win games, always. Can't be the coach. It can't be the players. NFL players have no power to influence roster decisions in the media, even if they were unhappy with the current circumstance. There's no LeBron James in the NFL, and certainly Carlos Hyde is no LeBron James. <laughs> Right? No one's confusing Vance McDonald with LeBron James. Yeah, the first person I think of when I think of the LeBron James of the NFL is uh, Carlos Hyde. No. So who does this serve? Does it serve John Lynch? I don't think so. I understand that John Lynch isn't happy with some of the contracts that he inherited, like Vance McDonald's contract. But any new general manager understands that when they take a new job, there will be some contracts they're not happy with. But it doesn't serve John Lynch for these rumors to surface because it vaporizes his leverage with other teams. If they believe the 49ers are going to cut Carlos Hyde and Vance McDonald anyway, why would they consider trading for them? I mean, you could weave the argument that this is some kind of bizarre alpha male, new GM, sheriff in town, college style bullshit from John Lynch, but I just don't see it. John Lynch has been around the game too long, both as a player and as a media member. I just cannot imagine John Lynch nuking relationships with members of his team this early in his tenure. I just can't see it. I mean, when the players are ultimately caught, you could imagine why they were caught on a team like San Francisco trying to change the culture, trying to show the young players that even the veterans need to be held accountable. Look, Carlos Hyde was caught. Culture, blah, 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 blah. You can see that happening. As an aside, the best cultures are not born out of fear. They're born out of inspiration. I think John Lynch knows that empty threats to cut players in July does more harm than it does good. And certainly Kyle Shanahan wants to open the season with Carlos Hyde, their best running back, and Vance McDonald, their best two-way tight end on the roster. I think John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan want to organically build a culture based on creatively maximizing the abilities of their players. But there are more individuals in the San Francisco front office than just John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. There's Jed York. And if you look back through time at the rolling incompetence of the San Francisco 49ers front office, who is the one common denominator through it all, through all the failures, all the early retirements, all the losses, who's the common denominator? Jed York.
the common denominator is Jed York. These rumors serve one purpose, to inflate the ego of Jed York. That is it. That is all. Just bulldozing morale in some perverse scheme to generate prestige for himself. That's the Jed York way. But because these rumors emanate from the ramblings of a petulant child, I don't believe they're true. I don't believe that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have any intention of cutting Vance McDonald and Carlos Hyde. Why? Because John Lynch has seen the books. He knows what these players are owed. He knows the franchise needs to get to the salary floor. And there's absolutely no rational reason to cut these players. And Kyle Shanahan doesn't want to cut these players because these players are better than players that he would replace them with. If Kyle Shanahan is optimizing the talent profile of his roster, it would include Carlos Hyde and Vance McDonald, and he knows it. So I will continue to draft Carlos Hyde as his ADP continues to fall because irresponsible beat reporters who don't have access to OverTheCap.com are simply reporting Jed York's behind-the-scenes ramblings as fact. And while I'm drafting Carlos Hyde in redraft leagues, this is a warning flare in the sky to all running back dynasty owners. Today's primary back, in some cases today's bell cow, will be tomorrow's backup or will be tomorrow's street free agent. This is the year of the old running back because the position is undergoing a tumultuous turnover that will apex next season in the form of the 2018 running back class, which will be the best running back class of my lifetime. So many running backs that we think are entrenched starters from Jay Ajayi to Todd Gurley are going to look up next year and realize, oh, oh no, my job, my role is not assured. I need to compete for my role because this 2018 running back class is going to be epic. And we'll be talking more about this phenomenon, the great turnover at the running back position that we will be seeing in the next eight months on the Sonic Truth podcast. So if you're listening to this show and you're not listening to the Sonic Truth podcast that drops later this weekend, you're doing it wrong. And if you haven't downloaded the Draft app from your app store, you're also doing it wrong because there's so much talk about early draft ADPs. What's Carlos Hyde's ADP in best ball leagues? Well, the Draft app is the first application of its kind that delivers both full-season best ball contests and in-season weekly DFS contests all administered via Snake Draft. And these full-season best ball leagues... You can opt to join either a fast draft or a slow draft. So you have that choice. I choose fast draft. So go to your app store now, search draft, or go to playdraft.com and download the app today. It will change your whole perspective on fantasy football. The draft app is a revolution. And when you sign up, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get a free roll and a $10 deposit bonus. And on today's show, we're going to talk to Jake Seeley from Roto Experts. He routinely finishes in the top five on Fantasy Pros. His projections are some of the best in the industry. So we will ask him about numerous player ADPs, who's undervalued, who's overvalued. But before we talk to Jake, I want to let you know that Roto Underworld is expanding our game analyst program. Last year, we had 20 individuals watching games, charting evaded tackles, contested catches, under-pressure throws. This year, we'll be doubling the size of our team from 20 to 40 analysts. 
If you're interested in becoming a Roto Underworld game analyst, charting one game a week for $20 to $25 per, email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Most seats are already filled because we announced this to our patron community early on. The patrons always get first priority because they're the true supporters of the show. The rest of you that are not patrons barely exist to me. That's why when it comes to listener leagues or this game analyst program, the patrons always get first priority. So join the patron program now. Go to patreon.com, search podfather, and support the show. And email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com, to become a game analyst. Now, let's go talk to Jake Seeley from rotoexperts.com. Follow him at allinkid. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Podcast. Jake Seeley. Jake Seeley, the Roto expert. I don't want to hear about Pat Mayo. I don't want to hear about anyone else. I only want to hear from Jake Seeley, the signature fantasy football expert from rotoexperts.com. Jake Seeley, talk to me. Oh, that's a fine because Pat Mayo would probably try to say he's Fantasy Sports Network and not Roto Experts anyway. <laughs> well, it's it's one big umbrella, right? It is. Right. But he would probably try to claim that side of it. And that's why he's there. Yeah. yeah. Yes, he would change the context. Yes, he would say, well, no, you know, well, let's, uh, I don't agree with your labeling system because I'm the king of Fantasy Sports Network. So we can both be kings of our fiefdoms. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So, off we go. Last time we had you on, it was a great show, by the way. People love that show. They love hearing from Jake Seeley on the Roto Underworld Radio program. And it got contentious last year talking about Manning versus Cousins. We did a prop bet. I won. Yes! Yeah! Yes! The only prop bet all year I won. I I feel great about it. I was one for one, a 100% prop bet success percentage so i'm very happy i want to bring you on and see what you're thinking for this year revisiting this manning versus cousins dichotomy who you got this year in your seasonal rankings uh i would actually take Kirk cousins this year but i think they, yeah the, the gap's closer than people think it's going to be though because i don't have Kirk cousins inside my top 10 and i do have eli manning eli manning inside the top 15 so i think it's not going to be as drastic as what we saw last year. I don't have Kirk Cousins throwing quite as much success as he did last season. There's just a lot to put on him to say, hey, we're taking away your two best weapons. As much as I love Terrell Pryor as the next guy, and I am a huge fan of his, and I'm a big fan of Jameson Crowder as well, and everybody knows I love Josh Doxson, it's still a lot to put out there and say, hey, Kirk Cousins, go be Kirk Cousins. And You know what? I'm going to bring this back up because I know you'll remember this. As much as you won the prop bet and I would take Kirk Cousins this year, you'll remember my biggest argument against him. And I'm going to make the same one because it happened again last year. Half of his games, he throws for zero or one touchdowns. And that's why he frustrates me for fantasy purposes. I know he's got terrific numbers, but half the games, he's subpar. And it really comes down to I watch his tape and he ignores the open receivers and tries to throw to the guy that's double covered an extra 10 yards downfield, which is great for fantasy. It's just why he's so frustrating as a quarterback. And I actually 
understand why the Redskins aren't committing to him. Because if you see that, you don't really want to tie yourself this, to this guy for the next five, seven years, because I don't know if he ever gets you to a Super Bowl. You might get there with him, but I don't think he's ever going to lead you. And I think Eli Manning bounces back. I'm still taking Kirk Cousins. I still project them for almost 20 more fantasy points over the season, but it's closer than it was last year. Eight games last season, Kirk Cousins, zero or one touchdown. And he's not a guy that rushes for a lot of yards and touchdowns either. That's why he was a fringe QB1 last year. The reason why I won the prop bet was mostly because Eli Manning was horrendous. Yep. Eli Manning shocked us having a season that bad with Odell Beckham Jr. It's almost a riddle how a quarterback can be that inefficient with Odell Beckham Jr. to throw to each and every week. But now he has Brandon Marshall. Looking at Brandon Marshall, was his 2016 season a meltdown or just an outlier? Should we assume that this is the last year of a cratering process, or is this a bounce-back season? It's very rare, but is it possible? Oh, it's a bounce-back season, but it's not a bounce-back season to the Brandon Marshall we used to know. He's not getting back to 11, 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. And, you know, what he always does, he goes to a new team and wakes back up, and this is his opportunity to do so, especially with Eli Manning. He gets to play next to Odell Beckham. There's a couple things here. Like I said, he's not going to get back to those great Brandon Marshall days, part of it because of age, but also because they have Sterling Shepard and they have multiple weapons. And as much as people can like Evan Ingram, we know what rookie tight ends generally do and struggle to complete their their process in their rookie season. It's more of a year two, three thing. But even that being said, there's plenty to go around here. I still have Brandon Marshall for over 900 yards and eight touchdowns, but that's a top 25 wide receiver. That's not a wide receiver one. And the other thing you look at from last year, these two wide receivers, Odell Beckham and Brandon Marshall, were number one and number two in red zone target share for their teams. You can't put them together and expect them to finish number one and number two. The only pair of teammates that were inside the top 10 together were Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, and that's only because there's nobody else on the team to pass the ball to. It's those two. The end. Thank you very much. There's other options on this team. So if I still have Sterling Shepard for six or 700 yards and five or six touchdowns in his own right, it just you, know, you bring this point up all the time, and people always remember this. It's very rare to see three wide receivers on a team combined for three 3,000 receiving yards and 20 plus touchdowns. It just doesn't happen very often. And usually it doesn't happen unless your name is like Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers. And Eli Manning, as much as I think he's going to bounce back, he's not Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers. Brandon Marshall could be washed, though. Like, that's a possibility. Like, you've come to terms with that as a Giants fan, right? That you might be getting someone who's a shell of his former self. We just don't see that many big wide receivers reach age 33 and continue to be productive. How quick was the Vincent Jackson exit from the NFL? How quick was the Andre Johnson exit from the NFL? The end comes very quickly, particularly for these big receivers. So that's why I'm higher on Sterling Shepard. I can't believe this is happening. I was not a Sterling Shepard enthusiast last year. I was the guy, like you, enthusiastic about Josh Doxson. Love Corey Coleman. Drafting Sterling Shepard in the top five of Dynasty rookie drafts was ridiculous to me. And that's all we saw last year. But now everyone has moved on. The acquisition of Brandon Marshall renders Sterling Shepard null and void. He had 65 receptions as a rookie. 65 receptions. What kind of fantasy football snobbery are we practicing where we're not impressed with 65 receptions as a rookie? I was impressed. I said, wow, this guy exceeded my expectations. 
I've changed my opinion of Sterling Shepard. I'm welcoming him onto my Dynasty League teams because I'm not sure Brandon Marshall can still play. You're definitely right there because if Brandon Marshall does have a drop, if he is done, if he is hit the Andre Johnson wall, which, by the way, Andre Johnson still had over 900 yards in his age 33 season, if we want to compare. The touchdowns really weren't there. It's 34 where he fell off the complete cliff and disappeared. So there's still a chance, and I think that if you watched Brandon Marshall last year, you still saw that he looked to be Brandon Marshall, at least 90 95% of Brandon Marshall. I think he just checked out. I mean, and I don't blame him for that. If you look at that team, he's, we've seen this before when he's checked out of teams. It's, if you look at his career, he's got a very common theme going where the last year with his old team is pretty poor, and then he jumps to a new team, and all of a sudden he wakes back up and feels better about it. So, But I'm with you on the Sterling Shepard thing. Like I have Sterling Shepard as a wide receiver five, but that's just on projections alone. If Brandon Marshall is hitting that wall, if he is done, if he even misses time, and maybe he gets hurt because, as you mentioned, big body receivers, the other part of falling off the cliff is they also seem to get hurt more often with their legs later in their career. So Sterling Shepard stepping up. I was also impressed by him because I like this talent. I like his skills. I like his route running. But what I watched in college was sometimes big bodied corners and safeties bumped him off his routes too much and I was expecting that to carry over in the NFL because they only get bigger and stronger and keep the same speed he impressed me last year as you said so I think Sterling Shepard is a terrific option to take in the mid rounds where people like you said are kind of just saying ah forget it Brandon Marshall's there he doesn't have any value anymore even if Brandon Marshall plays 16 games Certainly Shepard can be Randall Cobb in a very same. Well, guess what? Ben McAdoo, same offense, three wide. He's going to be on the field plenty. And the surprising part, eight touchdowns last year as a rookie for somebody who is more of a slot guy than an outside receiver. So I definitely think, to your point, people should not be turning their nose up at him because he's got solid low, you know, bench wide receiver value. But the upside for at least top 30, 35 receiver, Brandon Marshall, is either done or misses time. And he's a slot receiver, Jake. He's a slot receiver. That means he doesn't have much upside. <laughs> slot receivers don't have any upside. Except I look at my rosters that I'm drafting, and it's Willie Sneed. It's Jamison Crowder. It's just slot receiver after slot receiver after slot receiver. Doug Baldwin. Later in the draft, who am I deciding between? I'm deciding between Cole Beasley and Sterling Shepard. Fucking slot receivers are underappreciated, and in these teams that skew pass-heavy... The slot receivers have incredible value. Last year, Sterling Shepard was relatively efficient in the face of an inefficient passing game. On playerprofiler.com, we have a metric called target premium, which measures Sterling Shepard's per target output against the other receivers in the passing game. So it essentially factors out bad quarterback play, plus 10.6 target premium last year inside the top 30. So when you compare players like Kenny Britt and Sterling Shepard that were part of inefficient passing games last year, it turns out they had better seasons than the fantasy community is giving them credit for. And you can see Kenny Britt available later in the draft. Great value. Same with Sterling Shepard. We talked about Eli Manning. Another quarterback with question marks is Andrew Luck. We just saw news break yesterday that Andrew Luck won't participate in any preseason games. He's in a throwing program, but he won't play this preseason at all. And his ADP has yet to be affected by what I'm perceiving as bad news. And yet it's just shrugged off in fantasy football. What's up? Well, it's shrugged off 
if he continues to progress and continues to throw and doesn't have setbacks and everything looks fine. If everything is fine, I don't need Andrew Luck to play in the preseason. I don't need him to. If Lillian Bell wants to hold out until week one and they just suits up on Tuesday that week and gets out for practices and plays, I don't care. I, I, I don't care at all. Maybe you want to say there's a little bit of rust in the first game. Okay, well, they face the Rams on the road. Pretty decent team defensively. Maybe they don't score a ton because they don't need to. So week one, you're saying, all right, maybe I don't get Andrew Luck. But I don't care because Andrew Luck is Andrew Luck. It's the same offense, the same weapons. Dante Markrief is actually healthy now again. All he does is catch touchdowns. It's Everything is the same. Andrew Luck is the same. I don't need to see him play. Now, I'm going to very closely monitor what he's going through with this throwing program and if he's progressing as he should be because he finally just started throwing. And so he's behind Cam Newton by about two or three weeks in that facet. But if he's everything's going fine and they just don't want to throw him out there in a preseason game and risk him getting hurt. Honestly, if you're my quarterback and you're an elite level quarterback, I don't I don't want Drew Brees playing the preseason at all. I don't need Drew Brees to play the preseason. You start up week one. I'm getting Drew Brees, Tom Brady, same thing. Aaron Rodgers, same thing. I don't need these guys to play in the preseason to know that come week one, they're going to be exactly who they've always been. They're not in their second year. They're not in their third year. They're not young. I don't need to see it, but I will. I'll monitor it closely because obviously the not the only bigger hit of Andrew Luck of his value. I think the bigger hit, obviously, if he goes down, is T.Y. Hilton, Dante Moncrief, and everybody else. Because let's face it, <laughs> there might not be a bigger drop off from quarterback to backup in the NFL. Andrew Luck's ADP is the same exact number as Drew Brees, right down to the decimal point. Well, that's a mistake to begin with. Fifty-five point four. It's the exact same ADP slot on MyFantasyLeague.com. How is this possible? Andrew Luck is being drafted more than 20 spots ahead of Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson had the best offseason of any quarterback we've seen in some time. If you are following him on Instagram, you know he's had a hell of an offseason. Just ask Russell Wilson how his offseason's going, and Russell Wilson will tell you that Russell Wilson is having a great offseason, the best offseason of his career, where Andrew Luck has had the worst offseason of his career because he hasn't accomplished anything honing his craft, and he's just going to parachute in week one and be accurate? No, fuck that. No way. Why are you drafting him over Drew Brees? That means half the people that play in MFLs are drafting him over Drew Brees. Makes no sense. You agree with that at least, right? You agree the ADP is simply wrong. Oh, 100%. And Drew Brees should be going at least a round ahead of Andrew Luck. Thank and you. Thank you. If they're a round apart, like if Drew Brees is there and, you know, you say Andrew Luck is down at 66 and then Russell Wilson's down at 76, I could live with that. That, that. that seems to make sense and I'm fine with that. I'm personally, if you want to even just talk about the situation as a whole, I wasn't drafting Andrew Luck anyway. I was right. waiting for Russell Wilson. Hell, I was ready. Matthew Stafford and Philip Rivers going in the teens of drafts, like the 11th, 12th round. I'll just wait on that every single day of the week. But I wasn't taking Andrew Luck anyway because he's kind of, to me, he's in a tier of his own. He's slightly ahead of Russell Wilson, and then he's slightly behind the big three. And I just, at that point, it's like, if I don't get a big three, I don't need to get Andrew Luck. I, I'll just wait because then I could take a Wilson, Winston, Mariota, and just, I could just go down the list. And there's just so many other options. He just never felt like he fits for where his value is in drafts. The best value of all, Carson Palmer going at slot 142. If he's av- if he's available at 142, why is anyone considering one of these vanity quarterbacks? 
Well, I will say there is one better, honestly. Do you want to know? Do you want to know who? Please tell me. Well, <laughs> well, at least I'm not looking at my fancy league. I'm going by fancy pros. So Carson Palmer for their 160 at 140. <laughs> yeah, 160. Basically undrafted. <laughs> uh, at 141 is the best one, in my opinion. And that's Tyrod Taylor, who finishes as a QB1 every single year, who yes. led the league in yes. top 15 quarterback performances and Thank 15 you. points or more per week every single year. The guy averages 40 yards a game rushing. Guess what, everybody? That's a free passing touchdown you get every single week. What does he have to do, people? I, I don't get it. I understand his ceiling. You, you're, like, you're never going to say, oh, my God, Tyrod Taylor threw for 350 yards and four touchdowns. I, I don't care because, you know what, I'm getting a QB1 more weeks than not and more weeks than, like I said, top 15 performances. I understand that's not QB1, but top 15 is right in that conversation, and we're talking maybe one or two fancy points of not being a QB1. You're talking about that more than anybody else. That's more than Aaron Rodgers, more than Drew Brees, more than anybody else. He was a top 15 quarterback last year. I drafted Tyrod Taylor in the Scott Fishbowl. Because the Scott Fishbowl rewards a bonus for first downs. I did the same. One thing that we know Tyrod Taylor has is exceptional at, it's tactical scrambling. Scrambling when they need a first down. How do you think the Bills sustain so many drives? How do you think LaShawn McCoy scores so many fantasy points? Because Tyrod Taylor helps matriculate the ball downfield on a team that has the worst wide receivers in the NFL. After Sammy Watkins, this team has had nobody. It's Tyrod Taylor. He's the engine that makes the Buffalo Bills go, and I agree with you. One of those criminally undervalued quarterbacks, but there's just so many that whoever slips through the cracks of a draft, whether it's Phillip Rivers, whether it's Carson Palmer, whether it's Tyrod Taylor, just pick whoever lands on your lap in the later rounds. Do not draft Andrew Luck. I'm also seeing hipsters telling me not to draft Dante Moncrief. You mentioned him earlier. Fleeing from Dante Moncrief. The hipsters are so over Dante Moncrief, Jake Seeley. Why? The hell if I know, because they're ruining America. Uh, I can't tell you. Did we get that report recently that they're killing the beer industry or whatever? Look, look, I don't understand it. Dante Moncrief, we joked about it at the time when he was doing it, that he was the new Eric Decker because all he does is catch touchdowns. If Andrew Luck is healthy, guess what Dante Moncrief is going to do again? Just catch a bunch of touchdowns. He's the number two on this team. Stop with this Kamar Aiken nonsense, who's a possession receiver in the Philip Dorsett talk. Oh, I've heard Kamar Aiken is the best value wide receiver on the Colts. I've read a lot of hipster pieces around Kamar Aiken. They're on to Kamar Aiken, these guys. If a wide receiver reaches a level where he couldn't possibly be any less cool, the hipsters flock to that receiver. And that receiver this year, Kamar Aiken. Well, let me ask you something then. Did the Colts stop running a two wide, two tight end set this year? <laughs> Are they not doing that now? No, they are. They don't run as much three wide as people think. Is he the number two and not Dante Moncrief now? Well, we're not sure who the number three is because it could be Philip Dorsett. Philip Dorsett is going into his third year. We saw what happened with Devontae Adams going into his third year. The third year ascendance is still a thing. Let's let training camp and preseason play itself out, see how Philip Dorsett develops, and then we can decide whether we're going to pencil in Kamari in three receiver sets. But we're a long way away from that. We should just enjoy Dante Moncrief with the 119.5, 97th percent 
percentile height adjusted speed score, a wide receiver that was dominant going all the way back to age 18 at Mississippi. He's ready to ascend. Every time Andrew Luck is under center, he scores fantasy points, and then the backup comes in and forgets Dante Moncrief exists. If you could point to one flaw in Dante Moncrief's game is that he is not able to win the trust of the backup quarterback for whatever fucking reason. But as long as Andrew Luck is healthy, it doesn't matter. And if Andrew Luck gets hurt and he's out for the year, well, the Colts are fucked and everyone's fucked anyway. Well, and here's the thing. You want the numbers from last year, despite the fact it was limited time. Ten red zone targets, eight receptions, six touchdowns. You want to take it a step further? Because I'm going to. Inside the 10-yard line, six targets, six receptions, six touchdowns. 100% on the cross the board there. All Dante Moncrief does is catch touchdowns. Ten red zone targets in limited time. A 24.4% red zone target share last year was top 15 in the NFL. Of course, they're not going to target T.Y. Hilton. He's 180 pounds. It's going to be Dante Moncrief yet again in the red zone this year, and the hipsters just have to eat it. The other option in the red zone is Jack Doyle, but Jack Doyle is almost impossibly unathletic for an NFL player. And because of that, I've heard that Jack Doyle's undervalued. I think he's valued correctly because it's difficult for me to weave a case that a player that unathletic could be a top five player at his position. So if he's not going to be a top five tight end, I think he's valued properly. Where do you have Jack Doyle? 14th at tight end. He's overrated. Oh, yes. I had no idea. Yes. Yes. Keep talking. Yes. I don't need to say much because here, I'm going to mention three words. I'm going to change the name in each one of them. Last year, damn you, Jack Doyle. The year before that, damn you, Dwayne Allen. When are we going to stop? And again, I'm going back to the question I asked you. When are we going to stop and realize that the Colts run two tight end sets and we're just going to be saying, damn you, Eric Swoop, this year for everybody that drafted Doyle? Yes! Yes! Eric Swoop! I do not understand this. Jack Doyle is the most overrated tight end. Actually, mm, I'm going to say second most. I'm going to save one of those for later. Say it. Let the hate flow. He is the most overrated tight end in the NFL. Say it, Jake. He's so overrated. He runs a 4-9-1, a 4-9-1-40 for Jack Doyle. There are offensive linemen, offensive tackles that are faster than Jack fucking Doyle. He's He sounds like he's straight out of a 1920s gangster movie, but he's not the lead gangster. No, he's one of the nameless henchmen in the gang. That's all Jack Doyle is, is just one of these nameless, faceless henchmen in the Colts offense. No, he's the big, fat, weird, redheaded dude from O'Doyle Rules. That's who he is. But I agree with you. Eric Swoop is going to get a significant snap share, and he's not getting drafted at all in fantasy leagues. But look out, because he was a former basketball player, and he's been developing his skill set the last two years. Last year, achieved a 33% snap share as the third tight end. So if he was logging a 33% snap share as the third tight end in his second year playing football, what do you think he's going to do in his third year playing football as the second tight end on a team that runs a significant percentage of two wide receiver sets? He's much more athletic 
than Jack Doyle, 99.259th percentile height adjusted speed score. So he has size and speed. And when he was in the game last season and targeted, we talked about the target premium metric, plus 29% target premium. That was sixth in the league. Yards per target, 13.5, third in the league plus 43.7 production premium. That's our situation agnostic efficiency metric, looking at when Eric Swoop is targeted on any given down and distance, number two in the NFL. So when he was targeted last year, he was effective. So this assumption that all those tight end targets are going to get funneled to Jack Doyle flies in the face of the historical tendencies of the Colts offense and ignores the competition for targets at the position that Eric Swoop is going to bring to the table this year. Yep, 100%. So the Colts have a rookie on the roster that I like. Another receiver competing with Jack Doyle for short intermediate targets, Marlon Mack. Do you like Marlon Mack? And if not, who's your favorite rookie running back this year? I do like Marlon Mack. Uh, He was inside my top 15 running backs, but we're talking about one of the most ridiculous draft classes in quite some time. Until 2018. (laughs) True. Yes. 2018 is going to be bananas. We we might say the exact same thing next year. And look, I like him. I like his athleticism. I like his power. My only problem with us, what I've seen so far is that he can be inconsistent at times. And sometimes the guys in the secondary get good contact on him and take him down. And I'm worried that if you have that kind of secondary in college, what are you going to do when you start hitting those big boys at the NFL level and you get past the second level? And so that's my only concern. And Again, I'm nitpicking in a big draft of running backs and honestly undervalued. There's so many of like I could just I want to answer this question with all of the running backs in this draft class because <laughs> I get the feedback and I get the responses. and I'm like, how do you have Joe Mixon rated so high? Why are you putting Leonard Fournette inside the top 10 and all these type of things? And then people are just like. Oh, there's guys who've never been on the field. And I said, last year wasn't an anomaly, and this year is going to be even better. I love Mixon, love Fournette, love Cook. I think Cook's probably, uh, if you want to talk about the top end of the board, the most undervalued because he's going a full round and a half, two rounds later after Fournette and Mixon, which doesn't make sense to me. Oh, often even later than that, though. Yeah, even later than that. I think there's two for me. The big one is Dante Foreman, and because he is a big guy, as soon as they drafted him, I said, you guys need to be worried about Lamar Miller's value this year. Oh! fake bell cow hey look and i got somebody that came back at me immediately on twitter you want to make a side bet i bet you lamar miller gets 75 more touches and i said you're missing the point completely he could still have 200 touches to you know foreman's 125 or 225 to his 150 that's a drop in value lamar miller could see a 50 50 workload come week one Dante Foreman is a beast. He's one of those prototypical when people throw out those cliches of, ah, oh, he wears down to defenders in the second half. If you want the true example of what that is, go look at Foreman's college tape and watch when he starts getting carries number 20, 21, 22, up to 25, and the defenders are just falling off him in the second half of the game. I don't think he's going to be involved in the passing game. Why? Because he can't pass catch, and that's a big problem. But, again, he can perform a 50-50 split. The other one I know you vehemently disagree with. Jamal Williams. Oh, God. Yes. Oh, really? You like Jamal Williams? I am a huge fan of Jamal Williams. He was number five for me. And I'll give you I'll give you the breakdown why and you can give me your feedback because I've heard I haven't heard you say it yet, but I've heard people talk about how much you don't like him and that you're actually an Aaron Jones fan. So this is what I said about Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams has the Madden button moves. He can do all of them. The spin, the truck, 
the juke, everything like that. Lower body disconnect is some of the best I've seen in a while in the fact that for you understand what I'm saying, but for everybody else that might not is he keeps his upper half square and keeps his vision downfield while his lower body are making all of these moves. And I think he's somebody that can be a workhorse running back. He does need some work in the passing game. But he's got the tools. He's got the build. He's got that. He's people are going. Like, oh, he's smaller than Ty Montgomery. Understand what a build is, and understand what the strength and the power he comes from. That's why I'm a Jamal Williams fan. I actually think he pushes Ty Montgomery into a timeshare this year. Maybe it doesn't happen from day one because we don't want Ty Montgomery carrying the ball 20 plus times or at the goal line. Or did we not learn from that from last year? And I understand he put on muscle, but let me see it first. I'm a Jamal Williams fan. I can understand if you don't agree. So I want to hear why you don't agree. Well, he's not an athlete. So 95.5 Spark X score, eighth percentile. So when you look at his burst and his agility, according to what we can measure, not what we see on tape, he's a non-athlete. He's not even strong. He doesn't even hit the 50th percentile in any workout metric that we have. And while he was productive at BYU, he was productive at a relatively late age. And I don't think he was as dominant as you'd like to see from a player that doesn't catch a lot of passes. That's the difference between Jamal Williams and Dante Foreman. Dante Foreman, I can get behind because Dante Foreman has measured athleticism and Dante Foreman has prolific college production. He has two incredible check marks that Jamal Williams doesn't have. So if you're going to be a non-factor in the passing game, you need to be dominant in these other areas. And that's not what I'm seeing when I look at Jamal Williams. And I'm not so much an Aaron Jones enthusiast, though I think Aaron Jones is better in a vacuum. If I was just measuring the ability of two running backs, I would say Aaron Jones has significantly more ability than Jamal Williams, particularly because I put such emphasis on the passing game because the passing game gives you more efficient touches, puts you in the game in high leverage situations where you can ring up a lot of fantasy points, especially in two-minute drill, late game situations and all those specialty packages Jamal Williams won't be in the game and Ty Montgomery is the guy though if I'm guilty of anything it's cognitive dissonance around the role that Jamal Williams could potentially play on early downs because I don't want to hear it all I want to hear is about Ty Montgomery getting all the carries all I want to hear is Ty Montgomery getting all the running back targets because I think Ty Montgomery has the physical tools and the profile to be David Johnson light I want to see players that have the all-purpose skill set that are also great receivers get unlocked. I loved watching David Johnson get unlocked. And if it takes me pretending Jamal Williams doesn't exist in order to get maximum enthusiastic about Ty Montgomery's upside, then that's what I'm going to do. That's how I play the game. Yeah, that's fair. I was a Ty Montgomery coming out of college, and my biggest thing, and you can actually see where I wrote it up, I said someone needs to figure out how they're going to use him because he's got the talent. Again, Oh, my, hated him as a wide receiver and then right. love with him as a running back. Uh, see, I like him as a running back. I'm not in love. I just, I still have concerns. I know, again, I mentioned it. I've seen the picture. I've seen the weight that he's put on and the muscle and everything like that. But you watched last year. You watch him actually to his entire point of his career, even going back to college at this point. He's not a power option, and he hasn't shown the ability in my mind to play between the tackles, especially inside the guard range. And if you're talking about inside the 10-yard line, inside the 5-yard line, that's a big concern. Now, if he's added that, 
I obviously would have to pull back on my Jamal Williams because that's the only <laughs> facet that he's missing so far. Right. So if that's come to his game, I could get more on board. I'm just more concerned that, and we also go back the other part of it. And I know, you know, some people would say this is over analysis, but it's Mike McCarthy and Mike McCarthy of the entire career seems to want those more traditional running backs. And oh, you're right. That's why Montgomery's not there yet. And I think he sees Montgomery more as that change of pace option. And that's why they brought in Jamal Williams and, you know, replacing Eddie Lacy. But, you know, again, let's see. You know, I'll say this. I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably one of the biggest Jamal Williams supporters out there. If come week two of the preseason and I see Ty Montgomery, that is this weight added and this muscle added. And this is now he's getting his first and second down. He's being effective. and He's being effective in short yardage. I'll be the first person to pull back and say, yeah, cool down. Don't take Jamal Williams anymore right well we saw last year he was incredibly effective in space so when he received the ball on the outside whether it was on pitch plays or swing passes the juke rate was incredible 34.7 percent evaded tackles per touch number three in the nfl and then led the nfl in yards after contact per touch so he was breaking a lot of long runs evading a lot of tackles now can he force missed tackles truck defenders and power over guys in short yardage situations that's the last thing that he needs to demonstrate and i would argue david johnson has yet to demonstrate that at full capacity if there's a weakness on the david johnson profile it's his power between the tackles he's not elite in that particular area of the field but because he's so efficient in all the other phases he becomes David Johnson and that's what I'm hoping for from Ty Montgomery just be efficient in all these phases because you have so much opportunity in this Green Bay offense that if you are a focal point you are going to exceed everyone's expectations in fantasy football easily that's why Ty Montgomery has a top five running back upside because if he does show that development in the preseason and you install him in that offense, you put a player with that skill set in that offense, that's how top five running backs are made, particularly the sleeper version where we don't see it coming because we just haven't seen it yet. Well, this is why I'm so hopeful for Ty Montgomery. Looking at the rookies, though, is there a wide receiver that you're not hopeful for? While this was a nice running back class, not a high quality wide receiver class. So I think there will be a bunch of receivers that disappoint, just like last year. Who's the one other than Mike Williams? You're not allowed to say Mike Williams because everybody says Mike Williams. A non-Mike Williams rookie wide receiver bust candidate. Two things. I want people to stop overrating yards after contact. It's a great metric and it's a great tool to evaluate a player further. But we also too to- too much all- too many times we see this and under fail to understand that there's a big difference when you're getting squared up from the, the past the line in the second level, and a big difference when your offensive line is getting you a push to where you're not getting quality contact. And uh, you know, you look at a perfect example is, is something you just said right there is like the Green Bay Packers offensive lines, like the Bears, who people didn't realize were opening tons of holes for Jordan Howard, which I love. I'm just pointing this out there. There's a big difference if you're playing for one of these teams or you're playing for the Seattle Seahawks, where you're getting smashed at the line of scrimmage every single time. Of course, your yards up. To contact are going to be more hard to come by. The defense is on its heels. Yeah, yeah. I just and I just want to throw that out there because I know we reference it a lot, and I mean you, me, the industry, and we always talk about yards after contact. I just want people out there to understand, like, don't think that that's the be all end all. And oh my God, this guy averaged three point six, and this one averaged two point six. He's obviously a ten times better runner. I just wanted to throw that out there because you brought up the yards after contact, and I think that people get hung up on that. 
We do, because as a percentage of his total yards, Devontae Booker averaged a significant amount of yards after contact, but because he wasn't afforded many running lanes, his overall yards, period, were muted. So no one talks about Devontae Booker, even though his yards after contact on a per-touch basis were relatively impressive, and yards after contact correlate with breakaway runs anyway. Most of the yards after contact you accumulate are on those 80-yard runs where you break one tackle at the line of scrimmage. (laughs) And then all those yards count. And then you accrue 80 yards. That's why there's such correlation between breakaways and yards after contact. In fact, on playerprofiler.com, we are changing yards after contact. We are moving away from yards after contact in 2017, and we're moving to a metric called yards created just for that reason. I'm giving you two big thumbs up and you can't see it. So there you go. And I'm a big Devontae Booker fan for where he's going in drafts. But thank you. There it is. God, man, I had no idea that (laughs) we were going to align. I feel like we are like Voltron. Last year, we were not on the same side. We had different agendas. This year, we have the same vision and we are fighting as one. Well, I don't know. Maybe like the the one foot has that like loose bolt in it. It's kind of like it doesn't stay up by itself anymore for the Jamal Williams part. That's that might be the only difference. It just that's hanging loose. Everything else is connected well. Everything but actually, it's connecting perfectly. <laughs> look, you, your original question was receiver, so I took yeah. it as receivers, not wide receiver, because that's where I'm going. Like to your point, Mike Williams is too easy. The rest of the receivers in this draft class, outside of Corey Davis, I mean, we can nitpick about them, but it'll be hard to see great value from any of them. So I actually went with the most overrated because this is what I alluded to before with Jack Doyle. There is a tight end that's more overrated than Jack Doyle, and that's O.J. Howard. And I love O.J. Howard's talent. But for receivers in this class, because that's where I did, I expanded it to receivers, not just wide receivers. O.J. Howard, to me, is so far overdrafted at this point, I just don't understand it. And I don't understand what people are doing and drafting him as a tight end one when you're talking about the fact that as of today, today being the key word in week one, Cameron Bray is a better receiver. That's just the fact. And O.J. Howard being the better blocker, which is also true, is not a bad thing about O.J. Howard, but it is for fantasy because it's just like the Patriots with Martellus Bennett being the better blocker. Guess who's asked to stay at the line of scrimmage when only one of them goes out for a route? So you're just limiting the potential for O.J. Howard, especially as a rookie, especially in a team with Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans and Cameron Bright, who people are just writing off and drafting after O.J. Howard now. Well after. Well after. O.J. Howard, the most overrated receiver, because it's really hard outside of Mike Williams, even before the injury, because his his ADP should have been flipped with Tyrell Williams to begin with. Uh, But outside of him now, it's kind of hard to find anybody because even the Zay Jones of the world, and I mean, you get really super deep into the cups and the rental, like if you want to really get down there, but I mean, outside of Corey Davis and Mike Williams, well, John Ross a little bit, I think none of these wide receivers are rated high anyway. So it becomes very difficult to find an overrated wide receiver, but in the tight end class, it was an impressive tight end class. And there is a lot of hope infused in OJ Howard. And I agree with you. He's being dramatically overdrafted in seasonal leagues in particular. You're better off drafting Kobe Fleener. You're better off drafting Julius Thomas. You're better off drafting Jason Witten. You're better off drafting CJ Fedorowicz. And you're better off drafting Cameron Brait, as you mentioned. 100%. And you mentioned Tyrell Williams. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, welcome to the Tyrell Williams dance party, everyone. We've been dancing all day and all night. 
for many months, and now we just start to see fantasy analysts wander over. Oh, let me look at Tyrell Williams again. Oh, I heard Mike Williams might need back surgery. Oh, let's check out Tyrell Williams' profile. Oh, wow, this guy's pretty impressive. I guess I like Tyrell Williams again. Well, gee, welcome to the party, everybody, right? <laughs> I don't understand why everybody left. I, I, I don't know, like, somebody farted in the side or something, and, like, and everybody's <laughs> uh, I'm getting out of here, like... Maybe the DJ put on some crappy music. I, I don't right. understand what happened because I never left and I felt like I was looking around the room wondering where everybody went. You know, the guy that finished number 12 last year, and yes, Keenan Allen is healthy as of today, and maybe finally Keenan Allen plays 14 I don't even give him a full season, 14 games. Still, Tyrell Williams was going to be the number two. I don't understand why everybody was just thinking Tyrell Williams was all of a sudden find his butt on the bench behind Travis Benjamin and Dontrell Inman like he's just been left for dead. You're like, oh, my God, Keenan Allen's healthy. Let's shoot the guy and leave him out in the corner. I don't understand it. I'm with you. I've always been here for Tyrell Williams. I had him on so many teams last year. I'm going to still have him on so many teams this year because even if Keenan Allen is healthy for 16, I'll give it. Let's give him that. Let's give him that if Tyrell Williams is still going to be at least a wide receiver three with the amount of balls that Phillip Rivers throws and how good this offense is. And, you know, yes, he has 1,700. He actually legitimately has seven weapons to throw to, but Tyrell Williams is the second best one. Fantasy gamers can be assholes. <laughs> when it comes to Sterling Shepard, fantasy analysts are assholes. 65 receptions, not impressive. Same with Tyrell Williams. 1,059 receiving yards. <laughs> it's just, that's all you're going to do is over 1,000 yards? Okay. Ugh, you have a 1040 98th percentile catch radius. Tyrell Williams at 6'3", with incredible workout metrics, 90th percentile burst, as I mentioned, the catch radius. He was what Mike Williams aspired to be at the NFL level. The Chargers already had that guy. That's why it was such a curious draft pick. Why are you drafting a redundant asset in Mike Williams when you already have another Williams who is essentially Mike Williams' best-case scenario in Tyrell Williams? He was undrafted, and he went to a small school, so we're not that interested. He's a fluke. Well, he's not a fluke. Clearly, if you're translating exceptional athleticism into efficient on-field production, that's my number one criteria for touting a wide receiver, for projecting him, ranking him ahead of consensus. And all Tyrell Williams did was be efficient last year, 8.9 yards per target when called upon, and he's going to continue to be called upon as the number two wide receiver on one of the league's signature prolific offenses. A guy that I don't think will be called upon as much as fantasy analysts would like Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry is not a rookie, but Hunter Henry is overvalued, right? I guess the question the other way would be, so we're expecting him to catch eight touchdowns on nothing again this year if we're going to keep drafting him where he is. Yes. I, like, like, I, I don't <laughs> understand Hunter Henry. I, well, I, let me put it this way. I understand the appeal because... He's the younger player. Antonio Gates at some point is going to be put out the pasture. Heck, there's even rumors and people are saying, oh, he's just going to retire in the middle of the season once he finally gets his touchdowns. They're like, yeah. Oh, stop it. Just stop it. 
It's but see, fa- people. It's just Hunter Henry dynasty owners are infecting fantasy football analysis. That's my theory. But thirty-six receptions, eight touchdowns is just not going to happen again. Now, if he wants to get eight touchdowns, the most unsustainable touchdown rate in the NFL last yep. year belonged to Hunter Henry. You just don't see that kind of red zone target share for a part-time player. You're not going to see it this year from anyone. That was such an outlier red zone target share. It's going to negatively regress this year because of course it is. That's how it works. Just like Eric Ebron's red zone target share is going to positively regress. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I have Eric Ebron as my number five tight end. This is not hard. Fantasy football is not hard. You don't draft part-time players to be tight end ones for your fantasy team. And you don't draft rookie tight ends before established veterans like Kobe Flaner on prolific offenses. And you don't forget that Hall of Fame tight ends, one of the best of all time, are going to be playing football. He didn't retire. He's going to put on a Chargers jersey and a Chargers helmet. And Antonio Gates is going to put on Chargers cleats. And he's going to be out there running routes for the Chargers. And passes from the Chargers quarterback are going to go through the air into Antonio Gates' arms. That's all going to happen this year. I know Hunter Henry Dynasty owners don't want it to be so, but it's so. He signed up to play this year. He's going to play. And that means less opportunities, particularly in the red zone, for Hunter Henry. God! Are are we doubling Hunter Henry's targets from last year? Because otherwise... I don't want it. The ADP on some of these tight ends is a fucking riddle. These are experts. I'm not giving you fantasy football calculator. I'm not giving you fantasy pros ADPs. I'm giving you MFL 10 ADPs. These are the sicko diehard gamers. And they're out here drafting OJ Howard and Hunter Henry, expecting them to exceed all expectations and play completely out of their depth. For no reason whatsoever. There's no basis for these ADPs. I don't understand them. I'm moving on. We're going to <laughs> rapid fire. <laughs> Which wide receiver are you most bullish on this year versus his ADP? The best value wide receiver, according to Jake Seeley, is John Brown. Hey, yes, I know, right? Because why? Because you're not a doctor. And (laughs) fantasy analysts are not doctors. Well, there's a couple. They're mostly orthopedists. Doesn't matter. Oh, they came out of the woodwork this morning. When we when we had the when they had the news about the meniscus, it was all of a sudden Twitter doctors were out in full force. Yes, there's a whole fleet of Twitter doctors ready to give their analysis when a Kenneth Dixon requires surgery. And we'll talk about Kenneth Dixon in a minute. But which wide receiver are you most bearish on versus his ADP? I gave you two because uh, one's really high. Amari Cooper at wide receiver nine slash ten. Hell no, no thank you. Raynal Cobb inside the top forty also. Hell no. No, thank you. Yeah. The number three receiver on any team, even the Packers, is going to struggle to reach a top 40 ADP at his position. And Amari Cooper needs to show it because he was the number two option in that passing game last year. He was the number two option in the passing game the year before. So I'm drafting Michael Crabtree at his ADP before I'm drafting Amari Cooper at his ADP again. Amari Cooper was a bad Brandon Cooks last year. I mean, this is like the same story every year with Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper. Michael Crabtree's not even 30 years old yet. It's just rinse, repeat with the backward ADPs 
of the Oakland Raiders wide receivers? 100%. Now, which running back are you most bullish on versus his ADP? Well, Terrence West was the obvious one before today. Oh, he's Terrence West before today? Yeah. You can say that. You can told you so on here. This is told you so radio, buddy. <laughs> well, I want to give another one to everybody because the news is out there. and It's not going to help much anymore, uh, specifically for PPR, but Duke Johnson. So we're just writing the guy from existence again. The Miami Hurricanes all-time rushing leader. Nah, nah. Well, here's what I keep throwing out here. Even in a limited, banged up, not 100% season for Duke Johnson, he was one of one, two, three, four running backs to have 500-plus receiving yards last year. He's very, very good at football. I contend that Duke Johnson is one of the top 10 running backs in a vacuum. If you're just measuring talent, good at football, can this guy win in all phases? Does this guy help your real-life football team? How efficient is he? Well, every year, Duke Johnson is incredibly efficient when called upon. We talked about juke rate for Ty Montgomery. Well, one of two running backs with a better juke rate than Ty Montgomery last year, Duke Johnson. Duke Johnson also top five in breakaway run rate, as well as top five in yards after contact per touch because those two metrics are correlated. That's how he had a 6.9 yards per touch last year. When you get the ball to Duke Johnson in space, he makes defenders pay. And as we saw at Miami, if you hand the ball off to him or you pitch it out to him, he's also very effective. So what I love about Duke Johnson is he's a satellite back plus. He gives you that satellite back production, that floor in PPR leagues later in drafts with RB1 upside in the event of an Isaiah Crowell injury or suspension. Yeah, completely agree with that. And I'm looking at it last year and you look at the fact that he had same receptions, more yards than Theo Riddick, but no touchdowns. And similar to your point about the positive touchdown regression of Eric Ebron, you got to expect Duke Johnson, especially now he's healthy again, 100% healthy. I expect a lot better season this year. Yeah, and they're going to play him out of the slot. That's the news. Once in a while, a little pouch of news on a parachute like the Hunger Games. You know, it's like you're just waiting for one of these parachutes and you just can't believe it that a parachute is coming out of the sky right when you need it the most. You need to shoot a target 100 meters away in order to survive. And boom, here comes a crossbow just dropping down on one of these Hunger Games parachutes. Well, that's how I feel about Duke Johnson. I forgot what the fuck I was talking about. What was the analogy I was going on here? <laughs> I have no idea because I've never seen Hunger Games. <laughs> what was I going to say? I got way out over my skis on an analogy and I completely forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> that was as bad as I've ever performed on this show. Wow. I had this whole Hunger Games thing. There was a there was a parachute. You accidentally went down a double black diamond. <laughs> yeah, there was a, there was a, I was going on a black diamond. I just ran into a tree. Jake, I'm dead. Yeah, I'm officially dead on this show. I just died. I'm decapitated. My brain's not working. I have no idea what I was going to say. None. I have I, I couldn't tell you. There was something about a parachute. Just parachuting in. <laughs> I don't even know. It, we, it was it was news. Oh, yes. I know what I was talking about. When you're reading the news services, you're reading Roto World and nothing's happening. 
But once in a while, one of those blurbs drops in like a parachute that you need to survive. And this is how I felt when I saw the Duke Johnson news blurb drop in that he is going to receive copious targets out of the slot this year, that the Browns want to play he and Crowell on the field at the same time, like the Lions do with Theo Riddick, as you mentioned, put Duke Johnson in motion and have him run routes out of the slot. That's going to increase his production in PPR. That's going to give him standalone value with RB1 upside. That's what I'm looking for. The satellite back plus that gives you standalone flex value with RB1 upside. That's the guy I'm targeting once we hit the double digit rounds. <laughs> We're drawing out an analogy there. <laughs> hey, once in a while we have good radio, sometimes it's bad radio. I mean, we have good radio and bad radio. I mean, we just had some, I just gave you some real bad radio there. <laughs> so now, which running back is also bad or worse than is perceived someone that you're bearish on versus his ADP well it should be clear after we talked about the rookie in this backfield but it's Lamar Miller he ain't touching a single one of my teams he's not even coming close to sniffing one of my teams he's radioactive he's on a do not draft list maybe he falls to round seven eight I can talk myself into Lamar Miller but you really you have to be incredibly persuasive to somehow, some way, talk me into Lamar Miller. I want to go to your favorite team, the Giants. I think Paul Perkins should have the same stay-away status that we assign to Lamar Miller because Paul Perkins is, at best, average. I mean, that's his ceiling. His ceiling is average running back. His floor is can't play. And that's a guy I'm drafting ahead of someone like Duke Johnson, Theo Riddick. Get out of here, please. Get out of here with that. No. And I see here's the thing, though. I will draft Paul Perkins, but nowhere at his price. And that's why I don't have Paul Perkins left, because even if he is at a ceiling and, you know, I actually when he came out of the class, okay, in the draft class, I said he was one of the more elusive running backs in the draft class. But watching him last year, you saw the same thing I also said, which is he's probably always going to be a timeshare running back. He's never yeah. going to be the lead guy. He's never going to be a workhorse. He's never going to be your power option. So at best case scenario, you're looking at a 50-50 split, probably more in the 40% range because there's always a third person involved. You actually have a great pass catcher in Shane Vereen. You have 7,000 options because the Giants just wanted to keep all their running backs and bring in Sean Drawn too. So I just don't see the consistent ability here. If you want to give him to me as my fifth running back, sure, why not? Because now I'm getting him at only upside. But to his ADP and where he's going, which I keep saying, I'm going to print out t-shirts that say this, stop buying all the risk because that's exactly what you're doing. Paul Perkins was born into a touch squeeze. He's crowded out on passing downs by Shane Vereen. And I think in short yardage situations, they're going to find that Wayne Gallman's a better between the tackles grinder Thank you. than Paul Perkins. And so if you're giving it to Gallman in short yardage and you're passing the ball to Vereen on passing downs, Congratulations, Paul Perkins. You're getting the second and 10 from the 50 carry. <laughs> what? That's not how you score fantasy points. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. You draft players on the better run games who will be receiving carries and passes in high leverage situations. Paul Perkins is the exact opposite of that description. You're right. I'm a Wayne Gallman fan, so you're not going to get any disagreement from me here. Were you a Kenneth Dixon fan? Because it looks like Kenneth Dixon may be over. I mean, if you own Kenneth Dixon in Dynasty, I'm sorry. 
because whatever residual value he had after the suspension, I believe, has been vaporized. Yeah, look, I was a Kenneth Dixon fan. I still am on his talent. I was actually a pretty big Kenneth Dixon fan coming out of the draft class. But, you know, you look at last year, I kept saying the whole year I was getting so annoyed with the fact that Harbaugh wouldn't give him a chance. Finally got some opportunities down the stretch. You've seen him flash. You've seen him be very efficient in his touches. But the suspension and now the surgery, and as I mentioned, the you know, Twitter doctors came out in full force. And, oh, well, this should be fine. He'll be back before his, he even starts the suspension. So by the time he's done with the suspension, he cut, oh, really? It's just a tour meniscus. It's nothing. You no, know, he hurt his knee, guys. The first injury a back like that sustains that's of medium or high severity, that's a bellwether injury. Right. And they're talking about, oh, well, it's just a shaving. Again, the Twitter doctor is telling us, that, you know, they know that, they're, you know, what if they get in there and it's worse? Or what if he comes back for his first day of starting to practice again and the knee doesn't feel right? You know, we've seen basketball players not recover from meniscus injuries and not be the same. And these aren't guys that are getting carrying the ball and getting tackled by 250 pound, 300 pound linemen and linebackers. So I just it's injury optimism. It's Twitter doctors. It's everything rolled into one. I'm a fan. If he comes back 100 percent, maybe. But even before this, why was he being drafted before Terrence West? Thank you. I was just about to say, look, I'm a Kenneth Dixon fan. They bring in Danny Woodhead. Terrence West was good in his own right. Every year we want to say, oh, this isn't the Ravens running back that's going to do it. Go back to Justin Forsett. Ah, He's not going to keep the job all year long. Terrence West did good last year. They bring in Danny Woodhead. What job does he have to come back to unless both of them bomb or Woodhead gets hurt? I just didn't understand where the opportunity was coming. Terrence West and Kenneth Dixon were similar players, both dominant small school running backs. Kenneth Dixon drafted in the fourth round. Terrence West drafted in the third round. So Terrence West technically has more draft capital. Kenneth Dixon, more athletic. But Terrence West was a dominant small school running back and last year was relatively efficient. 26.0 juke rate, 26th in the NFL. So he was evading a lot of tackles. He was breaking some runs, 10 breakaway runs. So it's his job. It's like a closer in baseball. You bet on the first guy to get an opportunity because if he gets three saves in a row, the job is his. Terrence West performs well in the first two games of the season. The job is his. Just book it. He's going to get the early down work. Kenneth Dixon be damned if he plays well. So you should be drafting him, not Kenneth Dixon. And now you really should be drafting Terrence West over Kenneth Dixon because Kenneth Dixon is the unholy combination of being hurt and suspended. I mean, you can be hurt. You can be suspended. I might rationalize away your downside, but you can't be hurt and suspended. That's where I draw the line, Jake. (laughs) Understandable. (laughs) Carlos Hyde is neither. Carlos Hyde is healthy. Carlos Hyde has never been suspended. Yet the beat reporters in San Francisco are ready to ship Carlos Hyde out of town. Carlos Hyde's contract is an incredible value. He makes less than a million dollars. What is the problem here? Why insist on calling Carlos Hyde a cut candidate? It's just not true. It's bizarre. The same applies to Vance McDonald. Who are these people following the San Francisco 49ers just writing down whatever rumors they're hearing without ever going to over the cap and typing in Carlos Hyde, Vance McDonald? Oh, wow. So it would cost the San Francisco 49ers almost $4 million to cut Vance McDonald. Okay, not going to happen. It would be completely irrational to cut the starting running back making less than a million dollars. Not going to happen. 
yet let's just type away the rumor i heard on the bay area press what the hell man the only thing i could see with carl side is if they traded him you can't do trades in the nfl enough with the trade talk we get this every single year and stop it people always want to throw this stuff out and i i, I my comeback is that how many times one do you ever see a trade go down two how many times do you usually see it happen after the nfl draft no, like, no it's, it's not gonna happen it's just it just doesn't really happen and at once that in value, a while you have a logan mankins get traded for a tim wright at the end of camp right. or for a seventh round pick That'll happen, but they're not trading Carlos Hyde making less than a million dollars for a seventh-round pick or Tim Wright. It's not going to happen. If I were an NFL GM, I would never trade with other teams that approach me because my first instinct is, oh, that player must be hurt. That player must be hurt. No way I'm making trades in the NFL because the assumption is these players are not what they seem. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on the block. That's the trade paradox that so many GMs find themselves in the NFL. And that's what John Lynch is now figuring out. John Lynch is putting guys on the block thinking, oh, we're going to go ahead and trade him. Yet he doesn't have any experience in the general manager chair. He doesn't realize you can't do trades. It's not like (laughs) trading draft picks with the Bears. It's not that easy. Sorry, John. Yeah, (laughs) he got tricked. (laughs) You need to roll out the players you have on the roster. You need to go to battle with the players you got, John. I'm sorry you didn't draft them. I'm sorry you didn't sign them originally. Oh, well, you got to roll out the team you got. And Carlos Hyde is a very talented running back. His only problem, he can throw him down. The Keenan Allen road, if you want, is his inability to stay healthy. And his big problem is an inability to avoid unnecessary contact. You see this with running backs. They don't know when to fall down. I'm watching Carlos Hyde and I'm thinking, just fall down, dude. Just fall down. Live to play another snap. Please just fall down, get out of bounds, slide a little bit. Don't take the brute force of every Every single single tackler. That's Carlos Hyde's problem. That's what's frustrating about watching him play. Well, and then you get all the talk that they pounded the table and they wanted Joe Williams and stuff like that. And here's the thing is, I like Joe Williams. Like He's got great speed. He got a good burst. My problem is watching him is he doesn't find space if it's not there, first of all. And he kind of overexerts himself. And you'll understand, like, the players that make one too many moves. It's like, you didn't need to make another move, dude. And then he ends up tripping himself up or, you know, he goes from getting what should have just been an NFL five yard gain and keep things moving to getting tripped up with a one yard gain because he was trying to juke everybody out of their shoes. So I think Joe Williams has a lot of potential, but he's got a lot of room to grow where I just don't. I don't see the potential. Give me Jamal Williams over Joe Williams of the Utah State College running backs, BYU versus Utah. Give me the BYU back all day because Jamal Williams is actually a better receiver than Joe Williams. As bad as Jamal Williams is in the passing game, Joe Williams is worse, and you're right. Thank you. Everybody thinks Joe Williams is a good pass catcher. Jamal Williams at least has some nuance. Jamal Williams is a nuanced runner. Joe Williams is not. He's got similarities to Tevin Coleman without the complete skill set and the ability to catch the ball. Like, I don't understand why everybody just assumed Joe Williams can catch the ball well. He's Tevin Coleman without the burst and the pass-catching ability. <laughs> well, what's Tevin Coleman without the burst and the pass-catching ability? Jesus Christ, what are we talking about? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Carlos Hyde all the way. I'll take the value all day long. What about the value in that New England backfield? Yeah, Gillisley, James White, Burkhead, 
of those running backs in the New England backfield, who are you targeting most often? And do you find yourself stacking members of that backfield? Uh, one being pretty much nobody. But if I had to, it's Deion Lewis because he's the only free one of all of them. And then mm. two, hell no, because I'm going to say this and I've been saying it the entire offseason and I'll go to my grave saying it. But if you want to draft Gillisley in the first five rounds, you will and deserve to lose your fantasy league. We all went from seven, eight, nine, ten years of Bill Belichick pissing us the hell off in fantasy football every single year to one year of LeGarrette Blunt changing things and we're throwing out the entire history of Bill Belichick out the window and all of a sudden assuming everything's fine and everything's good when they also signed Rex Burkhead. They have Deion Lewis. You want to talk about people throwing out rumors that don't mean anything, especially when you look at the contract situation. Oh, guess what? Deion Lewis is criminally underpaid and arguably the most talented running back on this team. They bring in Burkhead. James White had a Super Bowl performance that everybody remembers. And you have Mike Gillisley. Yes, of all of them, Mike Gillisley will be the power quote unquote runner. But at the same time, I'm not drafting him in the first five rounds to be that because he could get 11, 12 touches per game, as used to be the case with all the power options on the Bel- Belichick offense because he loves pass-catching running backs. Mike Gillisley is the Hunter Henry of running backs. 18 red zone carries, 9 touchdowns! All he does is score touchdowns, Jake. He has an innate ability to score touchdowns. That's Mike Gillisley's great gift. It's not randomness. He's not due for regression in his red zone efficiency. Oh, no, 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 no. This is Mike Gillisley's great skill. This is what you don't understand. I understand, you know, Gillisley lacks burst, 111.4, 15th percentile burst score, well below average agility score, well below average upper body strength. But no, you know, he has the nuance and he has just a nose for the end zone. That's what it is, Jake. Yes, it's just a nose for the end zone. He just knows how to get into the end zone. Those 18 touchdowns are his for the taking from last year. Like Garrett Blunt vacated, 18 rushing touchdowns. Those are Mike Gillisley's, even though Mike Gillisley weighs 208 pounds. 208 pounds. He's smaller than Rex Burkhead. LeGarrette Blunt was 230 pounds. This idea that Mike Gillisley would be playing the LeGarrette Blunt role isn't right. I don't know who will play what roles exactly. The big question is Rex Burkhead and Deion Lewis. What role will they have? If Rex Burkhead gets a 30% opportunity share, Mike Gillisley's in trouble. If Deion Lewis gets a 30% opportunity share, Mike Gillisley's in trouble. You're right. So if you draft Mike Gillisley, you better draft Burkhead. You better draft James White. You better draft Deion Lewis. If, if you're investing in one, you better invest in all four. That's a significant investment. I understand the New England Patriots will be running the ball a lot. They'll be running the ball efficiently. They'll be in the red zone a lot. But that's a lot to ask a roster for running backs. I'm not going to do it. I might maybe take a chance on James White, on Burkhead, or Deion Lewis. But the one guy I don't own any of is Mike Gillisley. It was nice when he was being drafted in the eighth round. That was great. I was happy to draft Mike Gillisley in the eighth round, but now he's going in the third and fourth round. So forget it. Just forget it. Give me Ty Montgomery all day. We talked about Ty Montgomery and that we didn't appreciate him as a wide receiver. We now appreciate him a lot more as a running back. Who's the player you hated two years ago that you now appreciate much more? 
Ooh, if we're talking about wide receiver, I got another one. My initial response, and we've already talked about him, which is a good thing, was Tyrod Taylor. Because two years ago was the first year where Tyrod Taylor was actually valuable. Tyrod Taylor stunk before that. Tyrod Taylor didn't look like he would be an NFL quarterback. And, well, that's understandable because Tyrod Taylor is also learning the position. And, you know, now he's one of the most consistent and best values in draft classes. If you want to talk about a wide receiver, it's very simple. Because it's somebody who two years ago, I had questions, was even worthy of being on a team. And also, two years ago specifically, was being drafted in the third round because Jordy Nelson got hurt, if you don't know where I'm going now at this point. And all of a sudden, Devontae Adams turned into the receiver he wanted him to be. He finished running his routes properly. His hands actually started working. He started becoming the receiver we wanted him to be. And he's the number two on the Green Bay Packers offense. Yes, he's the number two. Stop with this. Randall Cobb is going to take a job back. He's not. He's the slot receiver. He's going to do his thing and be fine. And guess what? The number two on Aaron Rodgers-led offense is going to catch double-digit touchdowns, about 1,000 yards, maybe even more. And that's why, once again, which we've seen it before, it's going to happen again. It happened last year. We're going to have two Packer wide receivers inside the top 12 Book it. And one of them's not going to be Randall Cobb. Eight drops last year. Top five in the NFL in drops. He's going to drop passes, Jake. His hands work better. They don't work perfectly. (laughs) That's never going to be the case. Exactly. They don't need to. But that's okay because the NFL leader in drops the last five years, Brandon Marshall. And Brandon Marshall won fantasy championships for his fantasy football owners. So get out of here talking about Devontae Adams drops. The advanced efficiency metrics, production premium, we talked about it earlier, looking at every given down and distance, what is Devontae Adams doing for you on a per-target basis, plus 20.7 against the field, top 12 in the NFL. And even though he's dropping passes, 76.9% contested catch rate. So in contested situations, his concentration ramps up and he brings those passes in a top 20 contested catch rate. That's what you talk about when you talk about growth of a wide receiver, a guy that was dismissed after two highly inefficient forgotten seasons. Devontae Adams was thrust into the number two wide receiver chair in 2016, and it paid off handsomely for his fantasy football owners. The same thing is happening right now in Carolina with Devin Funchess. Everyone forgot last year that Devontae Adams was the number two wide receiver for the Aaron Rodgers offense. Just like everyone has forgotten that Devin Funchess is the number two wide receiver on the Cam Newton offense. Did you forget about that? Or have you ranked Devin Funchess higher than consensus all along? No, I have not forgotten about that. I don't understand. Oh, it's Curtis Samuel. It's Christian McCaffrey. You know, all of a sudden Devin Funchess sucks. I mean, well, to be honest, Devin Funchess was never that great in my opinion. Neither was Kelvin Benjamin. So, okay. That's true. This is grading on a curve. It's all relative. There are red zone options. Who else is he going to in the red zone? Yeah, he's not competing with Odell Beckham Jr. for targets in that passing game. Get out of here. Right, exactly. So, yes, we're buying the Devin Funches. I'm in a lot of mock drafts this year, which thank you, by the way, to all the, the fantasy football publishers who want me in their mock draft rooms. This is the first year that I've been invited to a lot of mock drafts. And at the end of drafts, Devin Funches is that one guy that I have to keep scrolling to find because I know he hasn't been drafted, right, Jake? I know he hasn't been drafted. And I'm like, I know Devin Funches hasn't been drafted yet. Where the hell is he? And I keep scrolling down and scrolling down the average draft lift. I actually have to type his name in to the finder in the draft room. And I'm like, there he is. He looks, there's a draft button. He hasn't been drafted yet. Thank you, Devin Funches. Why not? 
He could be the number one wide receiver. We could be looking back four months from now. By December, we could be living in a world where Devin Funches has been the number one receiver for the Panthers for months, and no one questions it. Well, in the previous years, that was Jordan Matthews, the number one wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. And after two productive seasons, he had a highly inefficient, unproductive season in 2016, the first season in which he underperformed expectations. So Jordan Matthews overperformed expectations in 2014, overperformed expectations in 2015, underperformed expectations for one year, going all the way back to college, where all he's done is exceed expectations throughout his Vanderbilt career. He underperforms expectations in one year. Just put him in the bin with Devin Funches and Tyrell Williams and Sterling Shepard. Guys that we don't care about anymore. And it's exacerbated by the fact that he's a slot receiver. Just sweep him away in the low ceiling slot receiver bin. Why? I have nothing left to say because you took all the words on Devin Funches. Just sweep him away in the low-ceiling slot receiver bin. Why? Can't tell you. So I'm with you. God, we should end the show on that because I just rambled forever. Okay, so, okay, so I'm rambling forever. There's a long silence. And you say X to end the show. Go ahead. Couldn't tell you any other reason. How about something like, are you out of breath? Make fun of me for being very long-winded. Kill me. Just kill me, Jake. Kill me. I'm here. I'm here. Kill me. Remember Predator? I'm here. Kill me. Kill me. Do it. Do it now. (laughs) I have nothing left to say because you took all the words on Devin Funches. You can say that. You can told you so on here. This is told you so radio, buddy. Let's just type away the rumor I heard on the Bay Area Press. What the hell, man? Do it. Do it now. Mike Williams might need back surgery. Oh, let's check out Tyrell Williams' profile. Oh, wow, this guy's pretty impressive. I guess I like Tyrell Williams again. Well, gee, welcome to the party, everybody, right? I don't understand why everybody left. I, I, I don't know, like somebody farted in the side or something, and like, and everybody's just, ah, I'm getting out of here. Like, <laughs> do it, do it now. What do you think of the show sheet? Pretty good. Yeah, good. That was good. Yeah, comprehensive show sheet. I wish the beat reporter. I think very few of them know what kind of power they wield over the fantasy football community. <laughs> it is a disproportionate and absurd power, and I don't think they even know it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They just send people running. Do it. Do it now. Please tell me. Well, what's Tevin Coleman without the burst and the pass catching ability? Jesus Christ, what are we talking about? Do it. Do it now. Exceptional at. It's scrambling it's um 
It's uh uh he's it it's tactical scrambling. Do it. Do it now. He's going to put on a Chargers jersey and a Chargers helmet. And Antonio Gates is going to put on Chargers cleats. And he's going to be out there running routes for the Chargers. And passes from the Chargers quarterback are going to go through the air into Antonio Gates' arms. That's all going to happen this year. I know Hunter Henry Dynasty owners don't want it to be so, but it's so. He signed up to play this year. He's going to play, and that means less opportunities, particularly in the red zone, for Hunter Henry. I guess the question the other way would be, so we're expecting him to catch eight touchdowns on nothing again this year. If a wide receiver reaches a level where he couldn't possibly be any less cool, the hipsters flock to that receiver. And that receiver this year, Kamari. Almost impossibly unathletic. Uh-oh, Lamar Miller, fake bell cow. I said, you're missing the point completely. Yeah, it's just, that's all you're going to do is over a thousand yards? Okay. He was undrafted, and he went to a small school, so we're not that interested. He's a fluke. I want people to stop overrating yards after contact. But no, you know, he has the nuance and he has just a nose for the end zone. That's what it is, Jake. Yes, it's just a nose for the end zone. He just knows how to get into the end zone. Those 18 touchdowns are his for the taking from last year. LeGarrette Blunt vacated 18 rushing touchdowns. Those are Mike Gillisley's, even though Mike Gillisley weighs 208 pounds. And we are fighting as one! Well, I don't know. Maybe like the the one foot has that like loose bolt in it. It's kind of like it doesn't stay up by itself anymore for the Jamal Williams part. As well as top five in yards after contact per touch because those two metrics are correlated. I got way out over my skis on an analogy and I completely forgot what I was talking about. You accidentally went down a double black diamond. (laughs) Black diamond. I just ran into a tree. Jake, I'm dead. Jake, I'm dead. Jake, I'm dead. It, we, it, was, it was news. Jake, I'm dead. <laughs> We're drawing out an analogy there. <laughs> hey, once in a while we have good radio. Sometimes it's bad radio. I mean, we have good radio and bad radio. I mean, we just had some, I just gave you some real bad radio there. <laughs> but you can't be hurt and suspended. That's where I draw the line, Jake. You need to go to battle with the players you got, John. I'm sorry you didn't draft him. I'm sorry you didn't sign him originally. Thank you. Everybody thinks Joe Williams is a good pass catcher. Sorry, we didn't get to the truther thing. I think we could end on that, unless you have a unless you have a really good truther. Yeah, I don't really have one. My whole point was going to be I'm quick to cut people out of my life, so... Jake Seeley's not emotional about football players in his life. He is an assassin. He is a clinical, rational assassin. He does not get emotional about fantasy football. The only person I've like stashed in Dynasty that really hasn't done anything yet is maybe like a Kevin White, but that's injuries. That's kind of different. Like, I don't see that as being a truther because it's an injury situation. Like, a truther situation would be if I was still holding on to CJ Anderson, which I'm not because we broke up at the beginning of last year. So uh, I move on from people. If you've had the opportunities and you continue to disappoint, I'm going to stop trying to promote it for you. A warning to all NFL players. Do not get attached to Jake Seeley. 
because he will walk away at a moment's notice. <laughs> and then you can block me like Odell Beckham. <laughs> I have no idea why. We've been trying to figure out the only thing I can figure The only thing we've come down to is that during the playoffs when Green Bay started smoking them, I said, obviously, they're getting burned on the defense because they spent too much time on a boat. And I was saying it in the point that how ridiculous it was that people were trashing Odell Beckham for being on the boat. That's the only thing. And I think that maybe he could have taken that the other way. But yeah, I'm blocked by Odell Beckham. I can't see his tweets. Was he mentioned in your tweet? No. So he had to go search out his name. He's keyword, he must have keyword searched boat and OBJ. This motherfucker's diabolical. And I've only said, I have a jersey of his. I've only said good things about him. Even going back to coming out as a rookie, I've only said good things about Odo Beckham. That is a heartbreaking Twitter block story. The first heartbreaking Twitter block story I've ever heard. I can't I'm going to tweet at him. He might listen to a werewolf. Let's see if he'll listen to a werewolf on Twitter. Holding a martini. A werewolf that likes to have a good time. We'll see if he listens to that character. I think Paul Richardson is a good truther candidate there aren't that many yeah there's not that many you have paul richardson julian edelman was one of the great truther candidates and jordy nelson dynasty owners were truthers at one point that's about it you had an adam thielen once a year it's about it last year you could say somebody would have said marquis lee i wasn't one but you got to have that kind of player opportunity where Marquis Lee, what I kept saying, he came out of college, he relied on his athleticism, rounded off his routes. He didn't he, like he didn't put in what it took to be precise at the NFL level. Finally figured it out last year. If you stuck with him, good for you. Uh, I wasn't one of those people. So yeah, you got to find those type. The only one, you know what? The only one I might throw out there for you and only because of his opportunity more than anything, because somebody has to catch the ball and somebody has to be the number one wide receiver, it would probably be Robert Woods. Yeah, in expert leagues, he goes surprisingly high. Shockingly early in expert leagues. Actually, you know how I know he's going high? I've seen Robert Woods get drafted before I have a quarterback. I'll give you my short-term one. You want a short-term one that's not three years out yet? Demarcus Robinson. I think he's going to be potentially the one that surprises people on that offense. That's what people should do in Dynasty. Zero in on a handful of these depth charts that are devoid of talent and just throw a dart on a guy. Why not? That's why I vacuumed up all the Albert Wilson. Yeah, why not? Somebody farted in the side or something.